Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 9 in our series for 2019, and today's date is Friday, March the 29th. First, I'll be talking to Kevin Sherry, the Executive Director, Global Business Development, Enterprise Ireland. He'll be talking about some new deals for Irish companies in Australia, and the reality of Brexit for Irish and Australian exporters. And then I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering, about the latest jobs figures and what it means for the RBA and the and in the lead up to the election. But now let's talk to Kevin Sherry. Kevin Sherry, you've just announced a deal between seventy one Irish companies from the fintech, medtech, high tech, construction, agritech, emerging technologies and ICT sectors and Australia. Tell us about that. Australia is a really important market for, for Ireland and it's growing in importance. Um, at the moment we have three hundred and twenty Irish companies that are exporting to this market with over 140 of them uh, with a presence here. And actually this week, we five further companies have announced a presence here in, in Australia. So this is a very important market for us. And we're here to try and build on, on the partnership between Irish companies and Australian companies, and indeed Ireland between Ireland and Australia. Well, one of the vexed questions is uh, what's happening with, uh, with uh, Brexit? Well, that's, I suppose that's the question on everybody's lips. And, and from our point of view, actually, we've been preparing for Brexit for the last two and a half years since the vote in 2000, June 2016. And for Enterprise Ireland, our focus has been with companies on what we call a no-regret strategy, which is focused on the things that you can control and the, that are within the company's grasp. And those things for us primarily are around helping companies with their competitiveness helping them to continue to innovate and develop new products and services, and also expanding their reach, getting into new markets to lessen their dependence on the UK. And that's exactly, that latter one is exactly why, why we're here. Um, so for us, it's, it's, it's not something that started yesterday or, or on recent months. It's something that started a number of years ago uh, in the expectation that, that Brexit, when it, when it finally happened, would... Uh, be something that would impact companies and the companies would be prepared. Now, obviously, you know, the, the, the current situation on Brexit remains somewhat uncertain. And um, we've seen companies that um, 
uh, that, that have responded and have responded really well and are building bridges with other markets. And indeed, here in Australia, we've seen the number of Irish companies, as I said, grow, and they've built their footprint here. To give you some examples, um, a company called Phineas that does financial services software in, into the insurance sector. They now have 150 people employed between here and New Zealand. Um, and we have another company called Kingspan, who actually on this trade mission has just announced an 8 million investment in a capital investment here in, in Australia. And Kingspan employ over 400 people here. What we see is companies putting footprints here and to creating jobs in Ireland and jobs in Australia. But to go back to Brexit, uh, one of the, I suppose, the most certain things that we've seen in the last few weeks at the English Parliament is that the, the Parliament has voted for uh, against a crash out, and that's good news because um, it's not that would not be good for the UK, and it would not be good for other countries, including Ireland. Because Ireland, UK is and will continue to be a very important trading partner with with Ireland and with Irish companies. That's regardless of uh, what happens with Brexit, is that right? R regardless of what happens in Brexit, they are near neighbours and they're very important uh, trading partner and valued customers and friends of Ireland and Irish companies. So we will continue to trade heavily with the UK, albeit in some uh, situations and in some sectors, the business model will, will need to be different. And that's one of the things that companies are working on. If there is no deal, then obviously the um, world trade uh, tariff supply, and, and, and in some sectors, that will have a significant impact. Now, uh, what would the reality of Brexit mean for Irish and Australian exporters if it came to pass? Well, I think for, for, for first of all, between Ireland and Australian exporters, I would say between Ireland and Australia, um, it, it, there, would, there wouldn't be an impact. And we've seen that, in fact, obviously, as you know, and there's a free trade agreement currently being uh, discussed between between the EU and Australia. Hopefully that will come to fruition. The, the discussions on that are ongoing. But irrespective of that, if you look across the sectors that are trading um, between Ireland and, and Australia and the companies that Enterprise Ireland is, is, is working with, um, right across financial services, construction services, um, IT for healthcare. So there's a broad range of, of, of sectors that uh, that are currently very active and, and companies are trading in both directions quite successfully. Tell us about Enterprise Ireland. It's, it seems to be quite active. I mean, how does the business model behind it work? Okay, well, Enterprise Ireland is a government agency, um, but basically what we do is we partner with companies and we also invest in, in companies to help them start, grow and, and expand into international markets and ultimately become Irish multinational companies. Probably some interesting facts is our Enterprise Ireland is actually the third largest seed investor globally. So over the last two years, for instance, we've invested over 350 new startups where we have invested as a, as a shareholder. And, and for us, that's very important because we're in there from the ground floor with these companies helping to develop and build a team, to invest in, in, in new technology, to spin out technology from research centers across Ireland, and, and there's a very heavy government investment in, in that area. And for us, what we see in, in terms of what Irish companies bring, they, we call it the Irish advantage, and they bring really, when we did some research on what were the key things that, that international customers 
saw in Irish companies and why do they source from Irish companies? There were three things that they kept coming up. One was the people, people, and Ireland is ranked as uh, very highly by IMD in terms of the world rankings for the skills and adaptability of a workforce and also for productivity, number one for productivity. The second was innovation, innovation in terms of the capability uh, to innovate and the focus on innovation by those Irish companies. And actually SMEs in Ireland are rated number one in the EU by, by the EU in terms of their levels of innovation. And thirdly was trust, trust very important track record of doing business and saying what delivering and what they say they can do. And those three things together we call the, the Irish advantage. So for us we see is is why we're a small country and um, just five million people, so with you know only a fifth of the size of, of Australia here, and um, we like to think that we, we punch way above our weight. I mean, obviously, uh, there's a long-term business-government collaboration here uh, between uh, in in Enterprise Ireland. I mean, how has that led to the explosion of Irish innovation? Well, one interesting model that we've approached in Ireland on the research and development side is is we've set up a whole series of technology centres, which are expertise specialised in particular, whether whether it be in in big data whether it be um, governance risk and compliance in the financial services area, whether it be in, in various areas of life sciences. But the, the technology roadmap by those centres and tech research centres is set by industry. So it's not set by academics, it's set by industry. And as a result of that, it's very commercially focused, ultimately, and gets commercialised out, um, out of those research activities by industry. And indeed, over 15% of the startups that, that we support uh, as an investor and government agency are spin-outs from those third-level centres. And what's the role of government there? The role of government is really to seed the, um, the activity, to support the activity in terms of bringing partners together, both multinational companies and Irish companies, and also researchers within third level, uh, to, to facilitate the, the setting of, of the roadmap and then to part fund it, uh, we will part, provide some funding um, towards, towards those ac activities, uh, as I mentioned, to, to ensure that, that in Ireland that we stay at the cutting edge of a range of, of sectors and, and new technological developments, whether it be in artificial intelligence, whether it be in, in virtual reality, um, and uh, then to have those commercialised. And also, of course, to, to ensure that the the, um, the education system is strongly connected to that in terms of developing and, and producing the right type of skills in the country that, that we need. You know, over um, one third of, of people in Irish in Ireland are under the age of 25. So we have a very young educated pop population. One interesting thing just to mention to you, Leon, is, is that, that the companies in Ireland um, continue to invest right through the global financial crisis in innovation. And we saw the benefits of that in terms of their growth rates and how those companies were able to successfully navigate through what that, what that difficult period. And in fact, if you look at Ireland over the last number of years, over the last three years, uh, Ireland has been the fastest growing economy in, in Europe with, um, with growth rates, with GDP growth rates of over 7%. And the, uh, the GDP uh, growth rate forecast for this year 
is four and a half percent. So we've seen the fruits of, of, of that investment and we need to continue to make that investment. Well, Kevin, that's fascinating. And uh, look, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. It's, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. And now let's talk to Indeed economist Callum Pickering. Okay, Callum, uh, let's talk about the latest jobs figures that went down to 4.9%. Uh, what's your view about that? Yeah, it was a little bit of a uh, mixed result in February. The uh, headline unemployment rate declining to 4.9% was obviously a very positive result. It was the lowest unemployment rate we've seen since June of 2011. Um, but the devil was really in the details. And there was a couple of things going on that might be a little bit of cause for concern. The first is that the decline in the unemployment rate was mainly driven by a decline in participation rather than strong employment. Uh, So employment rose by only 4,600 people in February, which is quite weak compared with what we've experienced over much of the past two years. And full-time employment actually declined by 7,300 Um, In addition to that, the participation rate did decline by quite a bit, um, which again suggests that we shouldn't read uh, too much into the lower unemployment rate in February. The participation rate is what specifically? Uh, So the participation rate is the share of the Australian population over the age of 15 that is either in the workforce or looking for work. I believe the participation rate declined something like 0.2%, uh, down to 65.5%, down from 65.7%. That's the figure I've got. Yeah, that's right. So it was quite a, a large decline. Usually it, it moves only um, a small amount from month to month. This month we saw quite a large um, decline. Um, so the unemployment rate was down by 0.1%. Uh, the participation rate was down by point. Two, which suggests if the participation rate had been unchanged in February, the unemployment rate would have actually gone up. I mean, all up, uh, you'd say nothing has really changed. Uh, job growth remains healthy enough and the unemployment rate is just edging lower. Yeah, that's a that's a um, yeah, reasonable way of, of looking at it. I think from a, a policy perspective, in terms of looking at the labour market, I'd probably take a step back and look at the bigger picture and say... Well, the overall trend in employment is still quite strong, despite the February result. And, of course, over the past year, the Australian economy, uh, the Australian labour market has increased by around 284,000 people, which, again, is a a pretty good result. So I think we shouldn't dwell too much on this uh, softer result in February, uh, but instead just look at the bigger picture and sort of understand exactly where the labour market is at this point in the cycle. It, it, but it isn't a, the volatility. There's a volatility of the labour market data, though. It means occasionally there's going to be these falls. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, the labour force survey is notoriously volatile. It can be very easy to overreact to a single month, uh, whether good or bad. And I think to some degree that might be what we've got um, this month, particularly in the context of what the labour market has been doing over the past six months um, and the past year, where employment growth has been very strong. And where most of that employment growth, around three quarters, in fact, has been in full-time roles. Okay, so how much did those those full-time roles increase by? Uh, Well, over the past year, full-time employment's increased by around 210,000. Um, To put that in context, uh, employment overall was up by around 284,000. 
uh, that said in February, uh, full-time employment actually declined by 7,300. So, again, um, it's easy to overreact to, to that figure. But if you cast your mind back to last month, full-time employment increased by around 65,000. Um, so you've got that month-to-month volatility there that does, from time to time, make it quite uh, difficult to interpret the figures. But uh, what does that mean in terms of, uh, for the Reserve Bank perspective? I mean, the positives would surely would outweigh the negatives, wouldn't they? I certainly think they would be pleased that the unemployment rates declined further, even if the reasons behind it weren't ideal. I think they'd also be quite pleased with the decline in the underutilisation rate, which uh, is 13%, which is, which is at its lowest level since uh, June 2013. Um, I think there are some other labour market measures, though, that might give the RBA some cause for concern. Um, chief among them is the ANZ Job Ads series, which has declined in each of the past four months. Now, that's important because historically, the ANZ Job Ads series has been has had a strong relationship with that employment and the unemployment rate. And so if, if that downward trend in job ads continues that does suggest that there could be a, a softening in employment growth over uh, the first half of, of 2019. So the RBA might be a little bit concerned with that, but they would obviously be able to identify some uh, some green shoots in the labour force figures. So I don't think they'd be too concerned just yet. But, uh, I mean, given that we're heading for a federal election, I mean, where, does that, where would that put the RBA's view about where the unemployment rate will be? Well, at the moment... Based on the, the latest forecast, the RBA is predicting that the labour market's sort of going to hold steady uh, for the foreseeable future. I think that the federal election could certainly um, cause some shift in that forecast. And I think there's certainly that possibility that the RBA... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Might revise that forecast um, for the unemployment rate a little bit higher based on what's happened with economic growth over the past six months. Um, the economy has slowed quite a bit over that period, and the RBA didn't expect that. So that could certainly 
uh, affect the way they're looking at the labour market um, going forward. But at least so far, the actual labour market figures that are coming out are broadly in line with what the RBA expected. But you would expect the RBA would be uh, would factor in political risks when it releases its uh, new projections over the next week or so. Uh, absolutely, and I think you know based on the the odds surrounding the federal election, it appears likely that we will have a change in government. Um, I don't think there'd be much surprise in that from a Reserve Bank perspective. So I imagine they've already factored in a lot of the the um, the ALP policy platform into their forecast of the Australian economy over the next you know three or four years, as well as as what that means for the labour market itself. Right, right. So they'd be factoring in stuff like, say, increased spending, uh, taxes, etc., 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 wouldn't they? Uh, they absolutely should be. Um, I remember back in the day when I worked at Reserve Bank, those were the sort of things you would be thinking about when you put together your forecasts. And as I said, given that the federal election is likely to be a relatively easy win for the ALP, um, I would fully expect the Reserve Bank to be factoring in a lot of those policies into their forward projections. Right. I mean, but given, given these, uh, these figures uh, that we're having with the, with the drop in participation rate, I mean, surely you would say that a slowdown in employment growth would be on the cards, wouldn't you? It's certainly a risk. Um, as I said with the ANZ job ads series, um, that's declined in each of the past four months. Historically, that does mean something. Um, we're just not entirely sure what yet. Um, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if employment growth did ease throughout 2019. The labour market has been pretty hot for the last couple of years in terms of employment growth, and so we're due for a little bit of a, a slowdown in conditions. Um, it's just a, a matter of how quickly that is, um, and that will become more obvious in the months to come, particularly with, as we continue to follow what's happening with job advertisements across Australia um, and how that's translating into employment itself. Right. So the next set of figures we really have to watch out for would be the ANZ job figures, wouldn't it? Job ads figures. Uh, that'll certainly be one to, to keep an, an eye on, particularly given that it does tend to be a, a leading indicator of employment. So it does provide some insight into where the labour market is headed. Um, as I said, it's only been declining for the past four months. That trend could naturally shift. We don't want to read too much into a, uh, a four-month trend. But certainly at this point, if that trend does persist, that would suggest that the labour market may begin to, um, to ease um, somewhat over the remainder of 2019. And the $64 question is, what does all this mean for wages? Uh, well, there's a couple of things going on. The decline in the underutilisation rate to 13% um, is obviously a, a good outcome. That does suggest that there could be a, a near-term increase in wage growth, maybe up to a 2.5 from a 2.3 where it currently is. Um, that said, if this job ads data does continue to head south, um, that does suggest that employment growth will slow and that the unemployment rate could tick up. And so that would naturally offset any uh, improvement that we've seen in the underutilisation rate. So if you were to hedge your bets, you'd probably say that uh, wage growth probably isn't going to do too much in the near term, which is unfortunately the way it's been for uh, a number of years now. Well, Colin Pickering, that's all fascinating to 
observe and thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. So what's happening in the news? Well, a growing number of economists and monetary policy experts are warning the Federal Reserve's independence is being tested by a president in the most sustained way since Richard Nixon strong-armed Arthur Burns in the early 1970s, just before inflation ran out of control. They're worried that a jubilant Donald Trump determined to spend his newly earned political capital from the Mueller report exoneration will goad the US Fed into cutting interest rates in coming months to juice the economy ahead of the 2020 presidential race. Critics, including Republicans, are piling into Stephen Moore, an official at the Conservative Heritage Foundation think tank and an economic advisor to Trump's 2016 campaign after President Trump picked him to be a governor of the US Federal Reserve. At least one prominent Republican economist has called on the Senate to block the appointment. Moore's selection is subject to Senate approval. His Trump sixth nomination to the nation's monetary authority, which is a seven-seat board of governors that typically is filled with trained economists, former financial industry ex executives and bank regulators. There are currently two vacant seats. Two previous Trump nominees, Nellie Liang and Marvin Goodfriend, failed to get Senate approval in 2018. Unlike Moore, neither faced accusations that they were unqualified. Even some private sector economists, who've generally supported Trump's efforts to accelerate growth with lower taxes, less regulation and fairer trade deals, were nonplus by the selection of Moore. And Apple has officially declared war on Netflix and Amazon Video, with the iPhone maker announcing a new video streaming service called Apple TV+. Plus. Apple TV Plus will compete directly with popular video streaming services such as Netflix and Amazon Prime Video. Apple TV Plus includes original programming from well-known entertainment talent such as Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, Kumal Nanjani from Little America, Steve Spielberg, J.J. Abrams and Oprah Winfrey. Apple says new content will be added every month when the service launches in over 100 countries. And Australia's 10-year bond rate has dropped to a record low of 1.76%. This is a steep fall over the last few months, and it's expected to signal interest rate cuts. The Reserve Bank of Australia is expected to cut interest rates in an attempt to boost the economy. Analysts are warning severe tropical cyclone Veronica could have a significant impact on the Australian economy and Chinese steel industry. The cyclone has temporarily stopped iron ore exports from the world's largest bulk export port, Port Hedland. Australia currently supplies about 60% of the world's iron ore, and about 90% of that comes from Pilbara ports of Port Hedland, Dampier and Cape Lambert. All three were shut down on Friday in preparation for the severe weather event. Iron ore analyst Philip Kirchlechner said depending on how long the ports will be closed, the event could hit the nation's economy, costing it more than $1 billion. And Labor leader Bill Shorten has pledged to lift the minimum wage claiming that the statutory $18.93 per hour is too low for the average adult to look after their family. However, Labor has not put a specific number on it. The announcement comes just weeks after the ACTU issued its own demands that the minimum wage be lifted to represent at least 60% of the medium wage. That would represent an increase of 10% to the current minimum wage. Australia's government wants to increase fines for tech companies that breach privacy laws under proposed changes which would also force the likes of Facebook and Google to stop using or disclosing an individual's personal information upon request. According to Bloomberg, 
the penalty for serious or repeated breaches will increase from $2.1 million to $10 million. The federal government is also reportedly drafting new laws that would make it illegal for social media companies to leave videos filmed by terrorists on their sites. And NAB and ANZ have fared worse from the Hain Royal Commission, according to the latest survey of bank customers. The survey of more than 1,200 bank customers aged between 19 and 36 years old, taken by Millennial Future, found that more than 16% of NAB and ANZ customers plan on switching banks in the wake of the Hain Report. CBA and Westpac were both close to 10% in terms of young customers wanting to switch. Former NAB CEO Andrew Thorburn and chairman Ken Henry resigned in the wake of the Hain Report. The results accord with Roy Morgan's survey results taken last month that also found NAB was the most distrusted bank brand in Australia, leapfrogging CBA in the wake of the Hain Report. NAB was singled out in the inquiry's final report, with Commissioner Hain warning that he was not confident former CEO Andrew Thorburn and former Chairman Ken Henry had learnt the lessons of the past and accepted responsibility for deciding the right thing to do. Both were subsequently forced to stand out. Still, the latest Millennial Future Survey found that banking and finance brands were still rated as more trustworthy than both insurance brands and the media. The results suggest the whole banking industry was not affected equally by the Royal Commission, but that those banks found most at fault are suffering the biggest backlash. The results were also in line with the latest Edelman Trust Barometer. It found that financial services was the only business sector to suffer a serious fall in trust, falling to equal lowest with the energy sector. And ASIC has a warning for Australian banks. Deputy Chairman Daniel Crennan said they would be punished with separate legal action if their lawyers engage in the game-playing or brinkmanship they've used in the past. Large institutions should not treat regular cases brought by a regulator as if it's a sport or ordinary litigation, he said in an interview. This comes after Australia's corporate regulator faced criticism for being too willing to do deals with financial institutions accused of wrongdoing, rather than taking them to court. And NAB Interim CEO and Chairman-elect Philip Kronikin has announced the bank's intention to end the bank's introducer program that awarded non-bank employees a spotter's fee for referring home loan customers. The program has been the source of many headaches for the bank, including the very first day of the Hain Royal Commission, where it was revealed sales incentives were being manipulated by a fraud ring operating out of Western Sydney, who were accepting cash bribes over the counter. Commissioner Hain did not explicitly recommend the banning of the schemes in his final report. However, he raised the question of who Introducer and other agents were working for in several instances, making the observation that it was impossible for a man to stand in more than one canoe. Mr Kronikin has made the decision just a week after saying he wanted the bank's executives to move faster and resolve outstanding issues that were hanging over the bank. NAB will terminate the program from October the 1st. It's the first of the big four to make the move. Last year, the bank said the program was responsible for the origination of one in every 20 home loans of bank rights. NAB said the program generated the bank about $24 billion in loans and led to the payment of around $100 million in spotters fees. A report from ASIC found the value of home loans sold by the big four banks via introducer channels rose $3.3 billion, or 22%, to $14.6 billion in 2015. And Telstra has slashed its employee share scheme with Chief Executive Andy Penn cutting costs at the telecommunications behemoth. Employees at the telco, who receive satisfactory ratings on their performance reviews, will no longer be entitled to 100 free Telstra shares. The news comes not long after the company's own board was slapped with one of the largest protest votes in ASX history against its executive remuneration policy. 
62% of Telstra shareholders voted against the plan, signalling that Telstra executives were paying themselves too much considering the performance of the company. While the performance shares for Telstra staff were issued for free, they're not worth what they used to be. Telstra shares are trading down at $2.02, having hit $4.54 in April 2015. Penn, formerly Telstra's chief financial officer, has been slashing costs of the telco as he tries to find a new revenue stream. All this comes at a time when the national broadband network company MBN Co. is eating into Telstra's profits as its wholesale customers move over. In June last year, Telstra announced 8,000 job losses as part of Penn's T22 strategy to make the company more nimble. And Westpac has issued a profit warning. Its first half profit will take a $260 million hit from refunding customers in its financial advice and its business and consumer banking arms. And it's a signal this will not be the end of its compensation costs. The banking giant said its first half results to be delivered in early May will include a $260 million provision for customer remediation, with about 90% of the costs relating to problems from previous financial years. About half the costs relate to its financial advice business, which the bank last week said it would sell, and the remainder are for issues in its consumer and business banking divisions. And Coles plans to steal leadership of a $3 billion online grocery market from arch-rival Woolworths by entering a $150 million agreement with the British online supermarket Ocado to bring its robot-driven grocery platform to Australia in a major shake-up of its digital offering. Coles said it would pay Ocado to open automated fulfilment centres in Melbourne and Sydney by 2023, which will double its home delivery capacity and improve profitability. Coles' online business is growing rapidly at about 30% per year, but the cost of packing and delivering orders makes it less profitable than its bricks and mortar business. Ocado will change that by running centres that will each have about 1,000 robots moving orders around and are expected to start operating in four years, with each handling products worth between $500 million and $750 million a year. Ocado's warehouses are run by an army of small robots which pluck individual grocery items from a vertical stacking system and load them into customers' order boxes. Coles staff currently pick items for home delivery by hand from Coles supermarkets or at dark stores. Coles chief executive Stephen Kane said the move to a website and warehouse run by Ocado would be transformational. Ocado works with other supermarket giants around the world including Marks and & Spencer and Morrisons in the UK and Kroger in the US. Coles will spend $130 million to $150 million over the next four years setting up the new warehouses, including fees paid to Ocado. The deal is an exclusive arrangement, meaning Woolworths will not be able to use Ocado's technology in the future. And West Farmers is looking to splash some of the cash it got from demerging Coles. It's making a $1.5 billion offer for rare earths miner Linus Corp. But Linus has rejected the offer, so far. In a statement to the ASX, Linus said it would not deal with West Farmers on the terms outlined in its indicative and highly conditional proposal. The company did not provide detailed reasons on why it turned down the offer. The $2.25 per share all-cash offer represents a 44.7% premium to Linus's share price before the start of trade on Tuesday. West Farmers has been looking for acquisitions after the demerger and IPO supermarket Coles in November, as well as the sale of the Bengala coal mine, Kmart Tire and Auto Service, and Quadrant Energy. And that's it for this week. And next week I have a terrific interview with Louise Havala, co-founder of Gatehouse Legal Recruitment and founder of new startup Alifery, 
Eliferi is leading the legal profession into the future by connecting ASX-listed companies, private businesses and law firms with highly experienced freelance lawyers for work, opportunities, contracts and projects. At Gatehouse, she was increasingly seeing the trend for corporate and law firm clients requesting subject matter legal experts for short-term or project-based legal matters rather than hiring a full-time legal professional. Within a year, Eliferi has over 700 users and is looking to raise capital later in 2019 to capitalise on this growth. And I'll be talking to economist Stephen Kakoulis about where the economy is heading and what the RBA is going to do. And of course, I'll be bringing you all the week's news. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBizBizZ, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. If you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a great week. Take care. Be good. And looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 